Welcome back to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. I am back from Buffalo in the home office here to record a podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about what the hell happened up in Buffalo. We're going to talk with um, my guy Dalton Ross from Entertainment Weekly and the Surviving Snyder podcast from the get the fan reaction, talk about the new season of Survivor, the Big Brother finale this week. We'll get to all that in a minute, but first to help me break down, seriously, what the heck happened up in Buffalo. Uh, he is the man about town, part of the Washington football team post game show. He is the great Scott Jackson and Scott. Uh, first of all, I would at Jackson sports on Twitter, right? Yes, Rick. That all is correct. Right. As I'm, far as at ben, I'm at Ben standing and yes, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or all that. You can read me on the athletic yada 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 you guys know all that all right let, let's get to the gory details Ugh. i i uh i wasn't anticip i was anticipating that they would not win this game that was going into the season and right. to me this game was what's going to what's going to rebound first it's essentially the washington's defense just not quite being there or josh allen's inaccuracy he has been he was completing under 60 percent of his passes the first two games and he had had this reputation for being an inaccurate passer and last year he fixed it and turned into a, a near mvp and obviously we know we know the answer and i was my my sense was that he would be the one that would rebound but again i wasn't necessarily thinking it would be a complete blowout with the inability to stop them anywhere and then on the other side of the ball you've got the taylor heineke story finally hit the, the the guardrails for the first time since he's become part of this team. Um, yet he did some good things, but he also showed some some concerning elements as well. I give you the as the guest, the dealer's choice. You pick where do you want to go and talk first uh, on any of these or other. Okay, topics. let's start with defense. I think that's the bigger problem right now um, from yesterday. I mean, the, the third down, the first third down of the game, right? Third and uh, it was third and ten, then they got a false start. It ends up being a third and fifteen. They convert it. I mean, he's got all kinds of time. Uh, there's no pass rush to speak of. Again, um, you, you see the uh, issues there uh, continue throughout the game. It's been a problem all season. Um, I, as a Josh Allen fantasy football uh, owner, Ben, nice. was um, you know waiting for this breakout game as well. As a matter of fact, I picked up Emmanuel Sanders uh, this past week to couple with Josh Allen thinking, hey, Sterling Shepard, you know, I mean, you know, Slayton, name a player that we've seen, you know, obviously – Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, everybody's torches defense. Why not these two guys? Uh, and of course, that's exactly what happened. So I, I'm not going to say I was completely caught off guard by it. I was, you know, was uh, hoping to be pleasantly wrong, but it, but I wasn't. Um, you know, it's it's just weird. The, the weird part of it to me is, and you can talk about assignments all you want. You had te- you know a 10 day gap between games. I just it doesn't look like they're doing anything different or trying to do anything different. I think one of the things I appreciated about this staff last year was their ability to um you know and they, they showed the first couple of games too ability to adjust at halftime adjusted a game even though they gave up the early drives against the chargers they had a bunch of really good uh defense in between that and that last drive right uh and that game you know the giants game they kind of settled in after getting punched in the mouth early so it made some plays there too but you know yesterday you know, outside of the early fourth down stop. And then, of course, it was a uh, the next, I think it was the next play or a couple of plays later that, that Thomas fumbles it back to him. There was really none of that. And then the effort level looked really bad. I mean, I was, you know, I was kind of 
that's what kind of concerned me. It was like, do you guys want to play or not? I mean, there was a lot, it didn't seem like there was a lot of effort on that Josh Allen touchdown run. If you want to call it a run, did he really run? It looked like he just kind of jogged in there. I mean, he didn't, he didn't put the jets on at all. It was very easy four to five yard run or whatever it was. That's concerning. And I just, you know, at some point I get it. You want to be in coverage, but man, if you can't get to the quarterback with your four, you got to bring an extra person, right? You got you got to blitz. You got to try to change it up, and they, they just didn't. And it's like Del Rio's coming off as stubborn here, um, and it's it's concerning. And this group's been together for a year. You don't get to say, "Hey, you got new guy in Jackson. You got St. Just is new." Um, you know, Landon didn't play most of last season, but there's the front four that you know better than anybody. You know, and they all know each other well. That they're the ones that you know are not getting the pressure when they when they. Um, used to get the pressure, obviously, just send it four, and that's that's concerning. I mean, Kendall Fuller's been been in this defense for a year. Uh, he's supposed to know what he's doing, too. So, I mean, there's players that have played a full year here, Cam Curl, um, that should know where they're supposed to be, you know, and where's the breakdowns coming. I think we all knew the linebacker position was going to be weak um, coming in, and they didn't, you know, they took one draft pick at it, really, and um, didn't, didn't really do anything in free agency in that area. So that's yeah. not stunning to me that it's bad, you know. Yeah, I mean, like the, the the gist of the article that I wrote after the game for the Athletic, I focused on the defense. Was you know I I sort of somewhat took to task all the people who kept before the season kept calling this team, you know, kept calling this defense elite, right? And right. you know the Mike Greenbergs of the world, and I, you know, look, I yeah. didn't think they would yeah. be terrible or anything, no. but like I, I kind of kept saying, look, over and over again, I'm sure people have now heard me say this in this podcast a bunch of times. Um, they gave up 500 yards in the Tampa game. I know Tampa won the Super Bowl, right. but and Tom Brady's Tom Brady, but you can't give up 500 yards and then say you're an elite defense. Right. And then there were a lot of times last season where, be other than the games against the the backup the, the backup quarterback carousel, and you know I'm not saying it was completely just that, but a lot enough times I was like, eh, you know, not completely right. buying that this is some great defense. Now I did like potentially some of their moves, and largely, you think the defensive line each of those guys is ascending, they'll get better. And that's the basis for thinking that this could go sure. higher up. Uh, but like I said, but the basic for my article was like all the people who kept saying they were elite, you're projecting. It wasn't reality. And people were turning their projection into what it, what was stating that they were already here. And that to me was uh, not true. Now on top of it, you mentioned the sort of out of the lack of energy or what have you. I mean, it's not like it's like, you know, they're not like they're, it's not a total dumpster fire although i don't know rivera saying said today he he even though he has concerns he said he just still doesn't think they're that far away i don't know yesterday it looked a little far away now he and, did and i'll say this to his to, to all we base one rivera on is which he's here i don't care what happened to carolina but he did say that last year and a lot of people looked at him like he was crazy when they were yes. what was it one in five or whatever it was i even i remember talking to him about this going you keep saying you're close coach but <laughs> it's kind of hard to see on the outside look it in and he laughed and he goes i get it i get it and he you know went through plays here and there in each game so i you know it's it's interesting but yeah i mean look you're right i mean the projections the boasting i mean i don't think dolman and millard are losing sleep right now um it's just you know it's like you know and this has been a problem and look all these guys didn't create this none of the people involved actually created this that that are there on the daily anymore right but they're always going to be looked at from our fan base as, hey, you're over-promising, under-delivering again. And I've heard a lot of that, you know, the last 24 hours since this game ended. 
And, you know, look, they're one and two. The sky, you know, maybe it is falling. I don't know. But they're going to have to play next week against uh, Atlanta. New Orleans, you know, had a nice win yesterday. But I don't think they're world beaters by any means. And that game will be off the turf and it'll be here. But so, I mean, these are two games that they have a, they have a chance to win. However, they've got it. They got obviously a lot of stuff to clean up. And I just what would concern me more beyond just getting your ass kicked yesterday um, is the fact that, it, you know, are there bigger issues right with the defense? Is it guys don't like playing for this guy? I mean, what what's going on? Like, because it doesn't seem like they're really, you know, they're not they're not on the same page. Right. And it doesn't make sense because they all say how much they respect and you know love this guy. I mean, and again, there, there are a few new pieces, but these aren't the new guys aren't the ones necessarily making all the mistakes either, you know, and all the blown assignments. So that's why I'm like. Because, I mean, Rivera, in his own way, very carefully basically laid out a couple of the defensive ends today about Jerron Payne did some good things, but the end wasn't where he was supposed to be. So that a couple times. Now, I think we know who the ends are on the team, at least the two big star ends. And now, granted, they play this James Smith-Williams guy. Like, he's one of the first-round picks sometimes. It feels like he's in the field a lot. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe, uh, maybe they're talking about him. But I, I think I know a couple of places he's talking about. But anyhow, it's yeah. interesting. It's interesting because those guys are there and they, and they should know better. So, so I want to, we'll get to the offense in a second. And I did already sort of touch on this point in the, I've already recorded my conversation with Dalton Ross, but in case some of you bounce out and you know, it's my show, I'll do what I want. Yeah, do it backwards. Um, yeah. So like, look, Ron Rivera is still, it's still early in the Ron Rivera era. This is, this mm-hmm. was game 20 of the regular season for him. So, you know, even if you, you know, you, you can't really make your own imprint, whatever kind of team you have in that short amount of time, he's already done some of it. And I guess my thing is, you know, the teams like, look, even if they somehow ran the table and won the Super Bowl this year, which would obviously be an amazing thing. <laughs> Is it, is it, is it, was it just a complete random event that happened or did, right. or is this actually a good, did they actually make a, a good sustaining thing, which is Rivera talks about what all coaches right. want. And to me, like, that's what's interesting is like, you know, the teams that we talk about a lot. Is it interesting or is it important? Uh, I think it's, I actually think it's important. I okay. think it's, okay. I'm going to put it Let's in the important. It. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good, Let's it's a good, it's a good, it's a good, uh, good note there. Uh, uh, this is why you, you know, this is why you're, uh, because uh, <laughs> I hear that a lot when people ask questions, is that interesting or is that important? No, so I just, I just want to, I think it, I think it's interesting and important as well. Yes. Uh, yes. A hundred percent. Um, so, um, I, I like when we talk right now, if I, if we went through the list of teams that are potential contenders and obviously some of it is based on talent, but some teams like you would say, well, I don't really care what that team's record is like Seattle. Right. I know that they're good. And part of that's right. Russell Wilson. Part of it is that year in and year out, they figure out how to get something done. Same thing with the Ravens, right? Ray Lewis and Ed Reed have been yep. gone for a long time, but it's But look at yesterday. Like- yeah, I mean, that's a great example. Lamar Jackson had to convert a fourth and 18 or whatever. Uh, you got to kick a 66-yard field goal. Granted, the Lions, you know, they're scrappy, but they're not good. They got a lot of injuries. And that's not a, you know, and the Ravens have a lot of injuries. But that was, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's this certain team you expect the standard from. Um, the, the Rams are another team. I mean, yesterday, that was really impressive. I mean, and even, look, even the Packers. Um, as much, you know, sunshine gets blown up Shanahan's ass uh, as like this, you know, like this Super Bowl championship coach, you know, he went to a Super Bowl, but he also had a bunch of years around it that have sucked um, in his short period of time. And you can talk about injuries and what have you. That's fine. But, you know, it was a really quality win for the Packers last night. I think, you know, everybody's coming in trying to coronate the, the 49ers before the game. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers is terrible as they look and disinterest as they looked in week one against the Saints. I mean, that's a that's a 
hell of a performance last night. So obviously a lot of the teams we just mentioned, it, they have star quarterbacks. Yeah. And obviously in this sport, obviously you got to have that. But I don't think mm-hmm. it's always just about that. There is a resolve aspect. There's some some player, you know, I mean, whatever Matthew Stafford is doing now at the Rams, he didn't do it in Detroit. Right. I'm not saying it was on him, but it didn't work out because that place has no chemistry. There's no history. There's no mm-hmm. culture. There's no, what does it mean in a positive mm-hmm. way to be a lion, right? Same guy right. goes to this other situation that has a better foundation and all of a sudden he's, you know, Johnny Unitas, right? So um, my point thought here is I at least thought I wasn't one of those people running around saying they're going to the Super Bowl this year or that this defense is great. I think I did say nine and eight, but you know, mm-hmm. I will admit there was, you know, when you cover a team, you get a little caught up a slight sure. some stuff and you know uh, you know whatever it can ryan still Fitz- happen by the way it's not it's not right. and also ryan Fitzpat- and also ryan fitzpatrick is not playing so that's a right. different variable but um the point is that like i thought there was at least some positive momentum and could ron rivera and his staff help take that positive momentum and spin it forward to it becoming we kind of know what to make of this team yeah you're not going to win every game and maybe you even have a losing season but you're going to be a tough out always you're going to be a team yeah. that um you know, there's a certain expectation. Like, I know what it means to go face this team the way we do with some of these other teams. It's only three games. Maybe we get there. But that, to me, is the, is the more disheartening point of this, is that it doesn't feel like they've made the strides on that front. And this is where, whether we want to talk about is the issue scheme or whatever, there does seem to be, again, it is incredibly early. I can't emphasize that enough. But there does seem to be a bit of a disconnect, it feels. Because, like, look, they were there one false or offsides penalty away from me owing three yep. and the conversation we're having is a lot is a lot different they and they were you know that, that chargers game wasn't nearly as close as the score was um you know and so on so um i, I to me that's going to be the interesting point whether they win games or lose games we'll see the schedule is going to be very daunting obviously we already know that and it's even harder because you look at some of the other teams that are actually playing even better than, than we thought but to me is like it what is that expectation you know uh uh, we could all sit here and say, well, they need to, like you said, they need to blitz more or John Bosick's got to play less. You just yeah. got to throw Jamin Davis in there and just let his athleticism, if nothing else, be involved and, and help whatever inexperience you have do, do that, you know, get, uh, I keep pushing for cam Sims on offense. I don't know, whatever the thing is, we can debate right. all that, but on some level, what's the baseline that to me is kind of what I'm intrigued by to see what happens here. Yeah. And look, I mean, some of the teams we just named, they all have certain players that perform at a certain level, right? No matter who's playing around them, you don't hear um, excuses. I mean, Lamar Jackson, you know, you know, Marquise Brown dropped two touchdowns yesterday, for example, Hollywood Brown. Um, there's just these teams and these things happen, right? The Chargers lost a million games forever because they had a field goal kicker, couldn't kick and clutch, right? Or, you know, these terrible things happen. But like your best players, like, you know, TJ Watt shows up every game when he plays the Steelers and he was out yesterday. Um, and was hurt, you know, in their second game. And they obviously didn't look as good uh, because of it. Um, you know, the best players in this team aren't playing their best. I mean, McLaurin maybe is the only one you could say because he's a dependent position player. The quarterback's got to get on the ball and they can double him and, and try to take him out of the offense. Um, you know, Gibson, for the most part, has been a lot better since week one. Uh, yesterday, obviously, you, you wish they would have had more offensive plays. They didn't. But, but you know, you, you can talk about getting chipped and doubled. The two studs on defense have not played up to the level you need them to play. And, you know, yesterday, you know, that was a, it was glaring. And same, you know, you can say, and I like John Allen. I mean, John Allen's had a really good season. But, you know, yesterday was quietest he's been. 
And maybe that was, you know, part of what uh, Buffalo did, you know, good for them. But, you know, those, that's what's got to happen too. And that, that's how you decide, hey, who's this team going to be every week? Because the standard, you, the coach can set the standard, all that, but the players have got to buy in and you got to have the right kind of players to go ahead and back it up, right? And maybe they don't. I mean, and again, it's very early in a lot of these guys' careers. And they're, and they're going to play through this stuff and, you know, the expectations and some of the expectations were brought upon themselves, right? I mean, well, they, I mean brought, the they brought the attention to it. They didn't have to. They could have, you know, Ron Rivera, I'm, you know, I think we all know his DNA. I mean, he's kind of more of a like deeds, not words guy, right? He would rather see that. He's not here to do some bravado acts, but, you know, he had some guys in this team that decided that was important this offseason to talk up what they were doing and how they're, you know, the, how they were going to do it, which is fine. But then when you come out and suck for the first three weeks in that unit in particular, I mean, people are going to look at you a little sideways. So this is interesting, right? So it was, you know, a couple of people remembered yesterday or mentioned yesterday that back in the summer, Chase Young said some comment like that they could be the best defense in the league. And was a point during the summer where Montez Sweat says he and Chase Young talk all the time about setting the sack record that you alluded to earlier. And look, these things are silly. They're fun, whatever. It doesn't really make any any hill of beans difference, except that is it a complete throwaway comment that they don't take seriously themselves? Or is this just a, a, a look into what they're actually thinking? And what it reminds me a little bit with these two in particular, and you're the perfect person to discuss this with, is thinking about those John Wall, Bradley Beal situations yes. with the Wizards, where they would, yep. especially with Wall, I thought, but really kind yep. of the whole that whole team, Marquise Morris, they were a fun team. There was a moment in time where it looked like, you know, they were the one game away from the Eastern Conference Finals, blah, blah, yep. blah. But it constantly felt like they were talking way more than they had actually accomplished. They actually right. hadn't done anything relative to everything else. Right. I mean, they should have been a little, you know, a little more humble in that spot, you know, whatever. Anyway, and I felt like they did kind of believe in that. And I think maybe Wall in particular. And so I don't, I'm not saying that Chase Young is that because I don't know enough yet, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But um it reminded me a little of that, that, and now when you start off the way they have started, it brings into the question of like, what were you buying into your hype? And that's one thing that Ron Rivera yep. has also talked about. Not so much maturity. He keeps saying immaturity. That's a buzzword, man. There, again, this is why I think there's more to this than X's and O's. I think there's, there's more to this than, than, you know, the meets the eye and saying, Oh, you're weak at linebacker. I think there's stuff going on there and he's not going to come out and say it, but clearly by talking on the maturity thing over and over again, there's something that it gave him pause right before this thing started. So maybe it's going to take, you know, maybe, maybe when you lose some leadership in a guy like Fitzpatrick, you know, if, if you thought that he was a leader or, you know, a Curtis Samuel, who we haven't seen at all. They also, you know, they also dumped Morgan Moses for whatever it's worth. A right. Guy that right. Been, right. I mean, they dumped, I mean, a lot of guys, Morgan yeah. Moses is gone. Kerrigan's right. gone. And I'm not right. saying these are bad moves, but there yeah. has been a lot of veteran leadership is now sure. out of the building. Absolutely. That's fair. And like, you know, a guy like Landon Collins who, you would like to be one of your leaders. I mean, let's just face it. I mean, here he's been a disappointment as a player, uh, you know, a guy you paid a lot of money for. So it's it's weird because you, you don't really have a guy you can identify. And remember, Montez Sweat, after his rookie year, people were like, well, crap, is this guy worth the first round pick we jumped back in for? And he had a great year last year. Um, but, you know, he's got to come back and do it again. I mean, you know, Ryan Kerrigan for his you know, as much crap as he took at times here, I mean, he consistently posted. I mean, when he played and was healthy, he consistently posted. You know, he didn't get sacks every week, but, you know, he consistently had effort. He consistently had, you know, at the end of the year, double-digit sack guy. So, you know, you, you can kind of poo-poo it all you want. You know, maybe it wasn't as spectacular as these young guys could could be, 
Uh, but he was productive. And that's where you got you to stack the season together. I mean, nobody cares. It's a, you know, Jerry Glanville, that NFL films, Ben, remember, not for long league or whatever the hell he said. And it's true. I mean, it really is. I mean, people forget about you in a heartbeat. I mean, it, it doesn't, you know, it's unforgettable. Nobody cares. I mean, what you did last year is irrelevant. And I, I was uncomfortable with it in the regular season, you know, in the, in the preseason about it. And, you know, I, I don't I hate to harp on this. It's not like the old guy, you know, screaming from the balcony on the Muppet show, but you did have these three games they call preseason where you could have maybe ironed some of this stuff out and maybe, you know, push guys a little harder, maybe try to prove your point a little bit harder about, Hey, we got to gel. So I, I'm not really interested in you, you didn't have enough time together on the field and all this stuff, because you actually did, you chose to do it one way and that's fine. You came into the season healthy ish. And look, I um, mean, the chargers played yeah. none of their guys, right. The- right. They played up, but it works for the chargers and it right. works for I mean, the Rams. It, it, it doesn't is- mean it works here. Cause I mean, I, you know, last year they didn't have preseason games here. They got off to a crap start and I could understand it when their fault last year, there was no preseason games, but here we are again this year with that opportunity and they played very conservative with it. And that's fine. Again, if that's your if that's your goal, and a lot of teams are doing this, but you know, Mahomes puts it up in the air a lot in those games, and some of these other teams, you know, you know, Brady threw the ball a crap load in his third preseason game in the third preseason game for the for the uh, Super Bowl champs this year. So, I know that some of the good people do it that way too. So I, I don't know. They got to figure that out. That's nothing you can do about that now. You're just trying to make up time. But there was definitely something. There is something in coaching coach the coach's message when he keeps talking about maturity. Something that's bothering him about the way they're going about their business. Unfortunately, as you know, you don't get to watch practice anymore. So you can't really see what it is. You know, if he's stopping practice, is he having to kick these guys in the ass every day? Is it a practice thing? Is it beyond practice? Is it meeting rooms, right? Is it because people are freelancing? I, I don't know what it is. Or did he not like the hype? I mean, and then there's the other part, you know, we talk about with, with um, and, I, and I, I think OTAs and all this stuff of voluntary, it should be called voluntary. That's fine. But, you know, a lot of people gave Chase Young crap for missing OTAs. And then when you come out slow doing your own thing, this is what people are going to jump back on, right? Whether it's fair or not. More specifically, people defended it, which I'm not saying was wrong, but it is to say, uh, look, this is the the job is this. The other thing isn't the job. We can debate whether it's Mm -hmm. voluntary or not, but like the expectation is to show up. And also if everybody followed Chase Young's lead, then nobody would show up for OTAs. And that obviously wouldn't go well. He is going to be one of the leaders on the team. That was my point in that moment. Um, Let's go to the other side of the ball because yeah. I only have you here for a few more minutes. Sure. And we got you got to. I don't know if you want to defend your boy, Mister ODU, or not. But this was the first time that Taylor yeah. Heineke had a rough start. I actually didn't think early on he was playing that poorly. He was he was hurt by you know they had the, they had the penalty yeah. on the very first possession that took away a first down with the. I, I don't. You know, catch. I rewatched that today, and I think Rivera's right. I don't think that was a penalty. Yeah, I mean, he's same. little. He's little mighty mouse, right? I mean, it's Gibson. I mean, McKissick. Was, I mean, it was McKissick. McKissick. Yeah. It's McKissick. He's small. I mean, he's like Ant-Man. I mean, they, they literally, the linebacker holds him. He grabs his shoulder pads and it stops. It wasn't like he was trying to get through him. He didn't even try to get through him. He just held him up. It was almost like, you know, you could have said if he, if Heineke would have gone that direction with the ball, it was a, it was a hold down field. But anyway, I, yeah, I thought that was a BS call. Um, look, they, he didn't play well. It, it, it was beyond the two interceptions, right? He got one that was called back that was a bad, bad read. He had a couple others he got away with. He got away with a few in the Giants game, too. Let's be real. Uh, he's got to be careful with that because he does not have a Josh Allen arm where he can force it in like some of these other guys. But what you love about the kid was he's got no conscience at all. I mean, he's like short memory. He's not going to like get shook. We've had quarterbacks here that get shook after a couple picks. One's played in Minnesota. 
anyway, he doesn't. He just keeps – he kept firing. He's not trying to be careful with it, and maybe and that's what Rivera was mad about. He's like, we, we needed one drive. We didn't need all, you know, 20 points. And I, we talked to him after the game about it, and he said, yeah, that's what I, I got to learn to do. But, again, this is what you're going to get with him. He's he's going to play with a chip on his shoulder. He's going to he's going to take chances, um, and you got to take the good with the bad. But, yeah, I mean, it definitely hurt yesterday. The Logan Thomas fumble hurt, too. I mean – so you look at what 17 points off turnovers. I think it ends up being uh, on the day. Uh, he's got to do better, but look, you, he, he showed they can still move the ball. I mean, that's, you know, they, they can, they can score points. You can say, well, the, tw- you know, the third touchdown was late in the game it was out of reach at that point, I guess. But, you know, again, it was, they looked like they were dead down 21, nothing. They came back, you know, quickly to make it a 21, 14 game. And then your defense, of course, you know, did what they've been doing all year, which is let a team just drive the ball down the field on you. And, you know, they held them to three. I guess that was the good news. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the official stance on this podcast is I'm done talking about whether Taylor Heineke is the answer. We're going to live in the moment. I did. Yeah. He's fine for now. He's the best guy they got right now. That's all you can say. I did a thing the other day where I think he connects with fans in ways that Kirk cousins and Alex Smith never did because he's, he's letting, he, he is a real person. He's Mm -hmm. letting himself be vulnerable and showing who he is those guys you know kirk was a politician and alex didn't say anything especially pre-injury and even a little bit post-injury um and 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 it's a fun ride and you know look i think you know people want to know what 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 can he be i think he is i think his upside is ryan fitzpatrick i think he's a guy that like maybe can be like be he's shown he can be good enough to help you when you need it i don't know if he's good enough though to be a guy over 16 games but that aside, this was the first time since he's been here where you're like, oh, I can kind of see yeah. the limitations. If you're not, uh, if you haven't been, if you if your only thoughts about Taylor Heineke is what I see on these games, this yeah. was like, oh yeah, when he holds the ball a while in the pocket to throw it outside, he doesn't have that arm. And you mentioned the no conscience thing; it can get him into trouble yeah. um, sometimes as well. And look, a lot of these guys, the 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 the, the mobile running type quarterbacks have a little bit of, of of that that's the whole deal russell wilson runs around makes plays and all yep. of a sudden he finds a place but he typically makes the plays heineke struggled there um struggled there yesterday I, and, I think, and i think it would be interesting too is um and i haven't but is to go back and see like some of the times he was holding the ball a long time were there guys open in fact or were they being covered uh he, he flooded the out of the pocket you know quite a few times yesterday was that impatience in his part you know was it not you know again he's a shorter guy is he not seeing over the line you know what I mean is he not seeing things and those are the things they have to ask themselves and you know look he's he's going to get to play for now I mean but let's remember the coach he likes Kyle Allen too he, he's got a lot of faith in Kyle Allen if, if you know Taylor has another one of these kind of games where he's turning the ball over and they're trying to win um you know they're not going to let the season go down the toilet just to see what happens playing him 16 games you know or whatever it would end up being right the rest of the way. So I, I think um, it was a tough outing, but I, you know, I like, again, the kids mental makeup, but it's, there is definitely some physical things that you can see why, you know, teams shied away from them. I mean, I, I get it. So um, I, I don't know when this happened. Maybe I missed it. And it was, if it was in the second half, mm-hmm. when you're having to write, you got to right. lose track. So Deami Brown had a drop. Cause it was mentioned at yeah. some point. Was that in the second half? Yeah, it was second half. Okay. So I think the game was still, I think that was, it might've been, in the third quarter on the, it might've been the, was it the first drive? Maybe. I don't oh, know. I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know. Anyway, no, it, no, was, no, it was still like the game wasn't over, over, over at that point. And it, it was a big drop. Um, and then cam Sims had one later and you're saying, well, I want more cam Sims and that's fine. 
Uh, I just feel like they're forcing Brown. We, we talked a lot about this in the post game. Um, well, so so time. this was going to be my 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 point. I think for the yep. first time, I, it's pretty obvious they need Curtis Samuel. Like previously, yes. yeah, like, I when, think that's when, a great point. When he wasn't around all summer, and right. I'm in camp all day, you were out there, you know, yep. you're watching. You know, obviously, yeah. it's the you receivers don't know what have you have. The, you've never seen him, <laughs> right? There's right, exactly. We don't know, and the receivers have the advantage. So we're watching. Yep. Fitzpatrick throw the ball to you know whoever whoever it is all these receivers even guys deeper down the list that we're not even going to mention some guys maybe who are even on the team now making plays but also you had Ryan Fitzpatrick and whatever Ryan Fitzpatrick is there isn't he's a been there done that guy Taylor Heineke isn't and you know here's the stat of the day from the from the game yesterday in terms of the offense um Adam Humphreys and De'Ami Brown had as many catches combined as Taylor Heineke Yes, he had they, one. They had one. Yeah. And so did he. Yep. That That's not great. Now, obviously, it was a day where Heineke didn't complete, only completed 14 passes, you know, 14 of 24, 58%. So, obviously, not a great day from that perspective, no matter what. But the point is that other than Terry McLaurin, who had a relatively quiet game for him, four for 62, you know, I mean, Gibson had the one great, amazing play. I mean, let's just not – it was a dynamic yeah, play. You was. see all the reasons why people get hyped for him. That was his only catch. He had he rushed twelve times for thirty one yards. The rest of it, so it wasn't like he had a great game. He had a great play. He won big they, play. And they and so they brought Samuel in, obviously for the specific reason of giving Terry McLaurin some help on the other side and to give another dynamic threat to this offense. I think they really they need him back now. Obviously, you can't rush him, and they've already waited this long. We asked Rivera today about it. He said Wednesday will be a big test to yep. see where he's at physically. Uh, so beyond that, I don't want to speculate because we've, we've, we've been, yeah. we've been speculating, you know, it's been going on since June, but I think I, I would just say like they, they need him out there. Adam Humphreys had no some good plays in that giants game, but he wasn't a guy you were counting on a ton. I still think they could get more out of Cam Sims. His snaps have gone up a bit. Um, and obviously Logan Thomas is, you know, pretty good. Um, so I just think I, that this was a side note to me. This was the first time I was like, okay, they actually need to get this guy. No, I think so. And I think again, the Brown thing, they forced him in. I was, you know, I go back to that giants game and I know he made the one catch downfield, but he also, there was one play in the end zone where he didn't even look like he saw the ball or was going to try for it. And I was like, wait, this is what you're supposed to be good at. Right. Is going up and getting the ball. And he did, and it was a corner end zone pass and he, he didn't even, he didn't put out any effort on it. I thought it was weird, but yeah, he's still got a lot to learn. Um, you know, they, and you're right. I think Samuel could do a lot of things to them. And obviously we've seen him be used out of the backfield. So I think that'll be, it'd be interesting to see how they, they figure that out with him. If he can go this weekend, if he can go this weekend. And then, I mean, I got to imagine, I obviously don't want to do it. He's going to be on some type of snap count early. I mean, he's not going to be turned sure. every play. Right. Um, all right. So I, I know I got to you in a second. Uh, so Atlanta is coming up. I probably want to probably sure. won't talk to you, at least not on this podcast. Before then, I'm sure you've already broken down all your tape oh, yeah. of the Falcons doing oh, yeah. over over the Giants. Um, look, obviously, you know, Matt Ryan's a different type of quarterback than Lamar Jackson and yeah. Josh Allen. He's not. He's a classic pocket quarterback. And, and right. like Atlanta squeaked out a win over the Giants. Obviously not exactly a uh, – but it was on the road, you know, given that sure. much. Um, so whatever. And, uh, you know, Atlanta is a team – when we talked about this gauntlet of a schedule, was not part of that gauntlet. And they haven't done anything yet to make me think – that need to be like overly worried. On the other hand, uh, there's nothing to be that excited about for, for Washington. And um, you know, that they have, you know, playmakers, you've got Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, they're the first round pick. I don't know if their running game is going to scare anybody too much and their defense isn't that exciting. So this is a potentially a get well game 
from the offense and maybe even the defense, I'm, uh, you know, depending on um, what Atlanta looks like. But on the other hand, Washington's defense is not scaring anybody right now. They're, you know, they're at the bottom of the league in numerous categories. So I, I think personally, and again, I talked about this later with Dalton, so I can just let you talk about this. I'm, it's, I can't say it's a must win because of the fact that it's only week four. Right. They also better not lose it because when you look at the schedule and this is a team like it, it, forget like just keeping the season alive. If you have actual aspirations of being really good, you have to kind of win this game because Atlanta is not great, even right. though it's Listen, on the road. So I, I just yeah. think, again, I can't say it's a must win. I think they definitely need to win this. Well, I think from the defensive standpoint, this is the perfect kind of opponent for you because, as you mentioned, a quarterback that really is just going to operate from the pocket, right? He doesn't, and they don't have a running game. So this is the kind of game you can tee off, right? This is the kind of team that you can really get after this guy. They haven't had that. Every quarterback they've played so far can get out of their own way um, and make plays in their legs in addition to throw the football. Matt Ryan's not that guy. So that should help this defense that really, you know, hasn't had an opponent like this yet. And we know how they struggle, obviously, against running quarterbacks. So, yeah. And Mike Davis isn't scaring anybody as a running back. So they, they should be able to play better defensively. Will they? Will they follow their assignments? Are they going to do what they're being told to do? I don't know. I mean, but they, they should be on paper, yes. Um, offensively, they just got to clean it up. I think, you know, as, as Ron Rivera said today, like Taylor to kind of work on being more of a game manager at times instead of trying to make the difficult play. Um, and, and that's the kind of game you're going to have to play on the road, right? Against, uh, against anybody, even, even a Falcons team that hasn't been all that great to this point, they beat the giants. You beat the giants. You both won by a field goal. So, I mean, I guess it's pretty even from, from that standpoint, but yeah, I would, I would like to think this is the, we're going to learn a lot more about this defense because they get carved up by Matt Ryan this weekend. I mean, this, we could be in for a long, cold winter. <laughs> yeah. 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 For, could be for... a long goal winner with this team. If that, if that's what happens this week. Absolutely. Um, other than following you on Twitter at Jackson yes. Sports, anything else we need to know about your uh, your, your current plans, even, even if it's just what you're doing for dinner? Anything you'd like um, to share? I'm going audience? out to dinner with my my son turned 22 yesterday, my oldest son. So we're meeting him for dinner. Every time you tell parents. me that, I'm like blown away because like, <laughs> I like how do you have a 22 year old? That's I know, crazy. and I'm a 17 year old too, which is the the quote young one, which is even weirder. Um, so yeah, so we're doing that, and uh, I'll be on after the game uh, with Fred Smoot on uh, Sunday, hopefully talking about a win. Fred Smoot, by the way, little note, fun fact: uh, his most hated team in the NFL is the Atlanta Falcons. He, uh, he hates the Falcons more than any team because his ex-wife was a Falcons fan and she lied to him the entire time they were married. And she told him after they signed the divorce papers that she always liked the Falcons. <laughs> wow. Has this been discussed publicly? On the air all the time. It's the funniest damn thing. So, I mean, I can't lose on Sunday. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to the game, but I know either Fred is going to be either jumping for joy um, personally, or he's going to be completely miserable, which sometimes makes me happy. because And like we the got the potential for the Kyle Smith revenge game. So <laughs> That's right, the Kyle Smith revenge game. Who, could, who forgot about that? Fa- is Fab- I didn't even look at Fabian Moreau's on the Falcons, too. That's right, Fabian but... Moreau revenge game. Oh, my God. There you go, a lot, lot, lot to go. A lot of revenge. Uh, Scott, always appreciate it, man. Thanks, Ben. All right, so now to continue talking about where things stand with the Washington football team. Plus, anytime I got a chance to talk Survivor and Big Brother, I'm going to do it. And there's obviously no better person to talk about that with my next guest, who in this case is going to be the proxy for all the frustrated fans out there. I can sense, I can sense he's got things to say. He always has things to say. He is Dalton Ross with Entertainment Weekly. All right. Uh, let's talk about the game. It's always a different perspective. One, I have to be emotionally detached. And two, I'm watching it 
from the press box and I'm, I got my own crap going on, trying to figure out what's happening and keep track of things. I'm not like watching it like emotionally the way fans do. Uh, I didn't have crazy high expectations for this game. I didn't necessarily, like, in other words, I thought the bills would cover. I didn't necessarily picture a game where the, where the football team was getting blown out more or less. Uh, what, 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 go ahead. Just bend. This is your opportunity to lay on the couch. Where are you at? Yeah. So look, We'll get in specific. We can talk specifically about the game, but we 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 make our predictions on my my doofy little podcast, Surviving Snyder, which you were kind enough to come on, Ben. And but I like, but well, oh yeah, this How is, did this I not is, mention that. Apologies. This is yeah. Thanks for the plug, Ben. Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, this is let me let me let me give you what what I'm feeling. All right, can I go on a rant on a second? Is that okay? Can I do of that? Of course. All right, I'm pissed off, Ben. All right, you know here's the this is your job. You have to watch this team. And you actually get paid to watch this team, as you should, because you do a great job with your coverage in The Athletic. But I, Ben, I do not get paid to watch this team. In fact, living at a market, as I do up in New Jersey, I pay money to watch this team. I spend my money and my time to be absolutely miserable. I've been ignoring my family every Sunday for the past 20 years to watch this absolute joke of a franchise. And like, like, why, why do I do it? Like every other Washington football team fan, I have no good answer. It's as if the rational part of my brain has been turned off and instead has like descended into madness. Cause we know the definition of insanity is doing, or I guess in this case, watching something over and over and expecting a different result. And the result with very few aberrations over the past two decades has been the exact same thing, which is futility. And I'm the moron who not only keeps watching and keeps rooting, but then went ahead and started devoting even more time to this godforsaken hobby and has started my stupid podcast about the team. Why would I do that, Ben? Like, seriously, seriously, I think about this a lot. Like, why, what is wrong with me? And, you know, if you listen to Surviving Snyder, the podcast, it basically sounds like this. It's basically me and my co-hosts being super depressed because our team stinks because not only does our team stink, Ben, but then we have to listen to every play-by-play guy and every color commentator on our games talk about our ferocious defensive line with our four first rounders and how they're going to get after the quarterback today. No, no, they won't. They will not. They will get after nothing. And we as fans will once again, get nothing. So as you can tell, I'm a bit frustrated. I mean, that's just, that's just, we just, we just started. I mean, I knew, listen, I predicted 34, 17. I thought we'd lose big. I, I, I know Buffalo's a great team. I know Josh Allen's a great player. I know Stefan Diggs is a great player. When you, you know, I, I said this on my podcast, when you're getting carved up by Cole Beasley, 11 catches, dude, it's brutal. It's brutal. Um, Lot, 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 lots there. Appreciate, appreciate the passion. Um, for and yes, I, 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 I will have mentioned the uh, in giving you a better introduction when I do the intro to the. Okay, to the are you going to make up for it there? That's yeah, good. yeah. <laughs> we'll, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna rename my podcast uh, "Surviving Snyder" for the day, just in honor. <laughs> um, and I, at Surviving Snyder on Twitter. Um, look. Fandom is fascinating, right? I mean, I've had to, yes. I've, I've had to check myself out of this because of this job. And it's one, like, it's weird. Like a lot of people who cover the team 
are not from here and therefore they can still root for whoever the what not maybe not even so much in this sport but other teams like for me like all the teams are here uh were the teams i grew up with and large i've covered them at some points but it is weird right so like the baltimore orioles though are a good example for me right the orioles when i was growing up you know cal ripke and eddie murray they're in the world series they win a world series they're contending all the time they were a model they were the definition of a model franchise and then, you know, similar to this team, there's an ownership change. The Angelos family takes over. And it's not been 100% uh, dumpster fire, but it's been dumpster fire plenty. And, yeah. and, and like this year, like I don't even pay attention to baseball anymore because they are, it, they're, they're not even remotely competitive. And so when the Nationals came here, a lot of my friends who were Orioles fans decided, this thing is a joke. You know, even without knowing the Nationals would win a World Series, it was easy to get behind them fairly quickly once you got Strasburg and Harper, and people sure. made that jump. And I couldn't do that. I was like, nope, I'm here. This is my team for better or for worse. Now I don't live and die with the Orioles, so I don't have that. I, I don't. You're not. You're not cosplaying as Wild Bill or anything. No. Wow, <laughs> Wild Bill. Uh, although I will say that deep I, cut. I, that's a deep cut, then. It is a deep cut. I will say that I've caught myself high in my rotation this year on my uh on on my uh, itunes has been thank god i'm a country boy there's a couple lines in there <laughs> yeah. that have connected with me for some reason this year i'll i'll save that you are me and my boy. shrink but um uh but yeah i mean uh so i'm i'm with you like why why put yourself through all all, all, all yes that? And, and it's interesting right like uh, you're a tv guy um the TV show Homeland, I loved season one, although the last episode was kind of, I don't know about that. By right. the time we started getting to season two, I was like, you know what? I'm not feeling this anymore. I'm pulling the cord. On the yep. other hand, How I Met Your Mother, I was into that show for years. and But that, but the last like two seasons, it got super duper painful. But I was like, I'm too invested in this. I need right. to play this out. And I hate watched it to the end. And it feels like that's been the problem here. It's like everybody's emotionally invested in this, but have now hate watched it the last but, few, uh, last while. Yeah, but here's the difference. Like, How I Met Your Mother, okay, it did not reward you with a good series not, it's not, it's, The emotional connection is very different. Right, right. But but also, you at least had hopes that there would be a, you know, an assumption, because it was a good show, that it would end up well, and you want to see what happens to those characters, and you want to know. There's nothing waiting for us but misery. I mean, even on a okay franchise, well, like, I guess this is the question I ask it because I'm in this boat. I know so many of your listeners and fans are in this boat as well. Why do we allow our emotions to be ruled by a stupid sports team? Because, you know, you, you, you know, you watch the game on a Sunday, they lose, it ruins your day. It's been a beautiful day outside. You're inside in front of the TV, ignoring your family and your friends to like watch this game. And it's just, that's bad enough. But then it, you find yourself depressed for like a few days afterwards. Like, why? It's like, I, I've thought this for a long time. It's like, it's so dumb, yet, yet I can't help it. Like, my, I bleed burgundy and gold. And, and as bad as they've been for as long as they've been, I wish that I had the resolve that other fans have had to just say, see ya, right? Well, I, I wish I could do that, but I just can't. Aren't you fascinated by the, uh, I've, I've something I've wondered about a lot when you meet somebody or hear from somebody like Howard Stern, not into sports, right? Uh, I know I've met some people all the time, not into sports, both, you know, all sexes, whatever. And I, I have thought to myself, what would my life be like? Forget the fact that I have a job yeah. in sports, but put that like, I didn't always have this job. 
what would it be like the amount of hours that I wouldn't waste on this, not just in terms of like watching the games, but thinking about the games, obsessing about the games. Part of the reason I got into this job was the amount of time I spent thinking like, well, how do you fix this defense or should they trade for this guy or whatever it is? And I don't even know what that would be like. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I would discover, uh, you know, medical cures or, 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 yeah. you know, or, or, or have a, have a nice garden in the backyard. I don't know what I would do, but it is fascinating to wonder just like, what's the alternative universe where I'm not doing this, let alone for the reasons you're saying that it can be an emotionally disastrous relationship yeah. uh, that you have. It's not even like it's all good. No. And, but, but you bring up a great point about the time because I used to be really into others. I used to, uh, professionally, I used to be a basketball writer. I, I wrote for slam and I worked at NBA Inside Stuff magazine, which was like the magazine version of that cheesy old Ahmad Rashad the teenage basketball show. Yeah. But that's what I did. So I followed basketball really closely. I grew up playing hockey at the Chevy Chase Club there in D.C. Um, and I was the worst Little League baseball player of all time. I was terrible. So I used to follow all the sports really closely, Ben. And then I, I basically have shed them all where. You know, I, I check in playoff time for the other sports now, right? Like for Caps, Wiz, I check in playoff time. And I'm just down to football. And at least I've cut some of that other stuff. I just I, just professionally, I don't have time to do it. I watch TV for a living. You watch sports for a living. I watch, you know, either reality shows or scripted shows for a living. So there's only so much time I can give. But it's brutal. I mean, I guess it's interesting because I know you're such a basketball guy, Ben. Like, if you could cover ba basketball instead of football, would you? Well, Maybe you can't answer that question. No, Maybe. no, 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 I can't. I mean, I, ironically, I literally just talked about this on the last podcast because Fred Katz, our Wizards reporter, just left staying with the Athletic would go to cover the Knicks. And right now we don't, have a, we don't have a Wizards reporter and they're, they're looking to, they're, they're going to figure something out. But immediately, I'm not kidding, I probably had a dozen people that I know personally and professionally text me in some capacity of, Hey, you know, are you going to do this or what's your interest? Isn't this what you want to do? And three years ago, when, when the athletic first got here, I was, was not, I was open to covering the wizards and it's not that I was against the football. I just had more time invested at that point in the wizards. Now it's the, it's the reverse. I have way more time invested covering this team and all that stuff. And and it's the biggest game in town. Football is the biggest game. Well, that's the other thing. I, I Somebody asked me this today about it. And I was like, I just feel like it would be a little bit of a step back professionally. Now, maybe it would be different if it was, if I was in LA and it was right. like, you can cover the Rams or the Lakers. Well, okay. That's a little bit different, but no, you know, whatever the wizards are what well, the wizards. I mean, for, for, you know, it is comical on some level, right? The, the, the football team, it's not just that they've been bad for 20 years now or whatever, but it is a lot of drama also because of everything that goes on with the ownership and all that. So it's been unsavory at points. The Wizards have been miserable for 40 years. It's double that. They, they last won a title in the 70s, right? So, uh, and I've seen most of this over that time. And, and there's been very few ups, right, uh, since then. So the, this is a relative blip for what agent zero you want to go back to the agent zero days agent zero the, the john wall bradley beal three or four year peak there um that was basically it so um but yeah i of, mean part of, I, as a complete aside the nfl lifestyle is a lot better for for, yeah. for reporters it's more of a it's totally. not a nine-to-five job but at all but it has more of that vibe nba is, you know what part of the problem is too is like they just got such a they i mean i'm not trying to bring up the name thing with the washington but like Wizards is such a stupid sounding name. It just doesn't sound cool. Like uh -huh. at least bullets was a cool sounding name, but like, Oh, I cover the wizards. Like you're thinking like some, like, 
Yeah, some guy that doesn't even know basketball is picturing some doofy like you know. Well, if you if you're on Twitter figure. and you do if you do like a like a you know ha- if you hashtag wizard, you're more likely to come up with like yeah. Harry Potter stuff yeah, than you exactly. are anything about this team. It's um, so so goofy. Yeah, uh, for they should have sure. gone with Sea Dogs, man. Sea oh. <laughs> Dogs. Sea um, Dogs. So in terms of uh, like so where so okay, all that said, yeah. I you know just like at the Giants game, I kind of thought like they they really kind of need to beat the Giants when looking at the totality of the situation. But it was still week two; it was really hard to be like, "Well, this is a panic situation." And I feel the same way now, except uh, I really think they need to win this game. And I don't just mean it because it's the next game and they're coming off a loss. I'm saying like, man, Atlanta is going to be now one of the easier games on paper they're going to have on the schedule because right after that you're playing New Orleans at home; uh, they look pretty good. Kansas City, obviously, who cares that they have the same record as Washington one and two? We know what level they're at. And then it's Green Bay. It's uh, at Denver. Oh, sorry, at Green Bay, at Denver, by week, Tampa. And by the way, when we talked about how difficult the schedule was before the year started, here's what we were not factoring in. 3-0 and Denver, 3-0 and Carolina, 3-0 and Vegas. So the schedule was actually even harder yeah. on paper than it, than it was at the start of the year. That's why they really, I think, do need to win to beat Atlanta, who, you know, they did beat the Giants. I didn't watch that game, but obviously the Giants are having their own problems. Atlanta's not great. They barely won that. But, you know, Matt Ryan's not bad and so on. So I do kind of think this is like, I can't say it's like code red or anything like that, but I kind of feel like it's a must win. But where you are from your perspective, like beyond the, or maybe lean into the emotion, whatever, like how desperate do you feel that they got to get a win here? Desperate. I mean, like, it sounds stupid to say in week four that it's desperate, but, you know, it's a murderer's row after that. Like, unless all of a sudden Ben DiNucci and Nate Sunfeld and Finley are going to be like on, on, on the rosters all of a sudden do some quarterback injuries. Like, it's a it's brutal. So if we can't listen, I, I didn't think we we're gonna be great this year, but I thought we'd be hovering around 500. Right. But in my projection of hovering around 500. I had a starting four and one. And the reason why I had a starting four and one is just because that was the easy part of our schedule. I had us losing to Buffalo. No surprise there, but Atlanta was a win that I chalked up as if we now go one and three. And I, Ben, I get it. Like every time we've made the playoffs in the past 20 years, every single time, if you look at it has been due to some improbable late season run, right? Like all of a sudden we win four to seven in a row at the end of the season after being like three and seven or something. So yeah, that could happen again, but, but the schedule doesn't look great. We end up against a lot of NFC East teams that could help because it is still the NFC least, but um, we, we gotta, we gotta win this game against the land. And what, and what, why should we think that we are like, you know, when we're doing our podcast before the giants game, we're all like, this is going to be a get right game. Like we're going to be, we should be able to beat them. And I said, you realize there's three knuckleheads in like, you know, uh, Clifton, New Jersey, doing a Giants podcast saying the same thing about us. You know, and, and so what I'm telling you is right now, there's three people down in like Macon, Georgia that are talking about how, oh, well, we can beat Washington. Like if we can't, if we can't beat Washington, then forget it. So why should we be hopeful that we're in? I, at some point you have to stop thinking, oh, this is when we're, when we're going to get right. And just realize this is who we are. And it, it is frustrating as a fan to hear the talk about um and i'm a ron rivera fan um but it is frustrating to hear like oh it's just you know just missed assignments or just you know we gotta have our communication 
or it's just the little things. It's like, at some point, it's not the little things anymore. I feel like for six years, I've been hearing about back-end miscommunication in our secondary as to why cornerbacks are letting receivers run down the field that they think they're passing off to a safety and there's no safety help there. How is that still happening? It's crazy to me. We got to win, Ben. You know, obviously Rivera, you know, we're still only, what, 20 games now into his tenure. So it's still in a, in a broad scheme of things, still early. But like, to me, like the, the tipping point, like I always say this, I think that people make mistakes as fans and also teams when they say we're going all in to win a Super Bowl because they, they I think they tend to make overly dramatic moves, r- risky moves, things that if it doesn't work out, you've now probably mortgaged a, a lot, which isn't to say you shouldn't try. I always think you should view it as put yourself in the position to contend every year as best you can and hope the breaks go your way. Andy Reid was not a genius until they won it a couple years ago, but he had been close a, a, bun- a bunch of times, right? I mean, you see this happen and I think what's going to be the test for me is can Ron Rivera get them to the point where they actually are year in, year out, they're a contender. Like, like, like the Ravens, you know, Ray Lewis hasn't been there for a minute yet. It feels like he just left yesterday because it feels like they still have this aura of what it means to be, you come here. This is what it means to play for this team. Right. And uh, things change. I know they have a good quarterback now, but like, you know, things have evolved and, and all that, but that to me is the test. Now, again, I'm not saying Rivera needs to be there now because it is still relatively early, but that to me is when I, for me, the frustration, I guess, as, as, as an observer is it doesn't feel like they're getting closer to that step now. I thought, well, maybe after last year, like I didn't have massive high hopes. I think technically I picked a nine and eight um, record and I, I admit, probably a little bit of, you know, I, I said eight, nine, and, nine and, and a little eight. homerism, nine and eight feels better well, when you're than eight, nine. Yeah, yeah. It's not even so much homerism, but you're, you're around these people. It's like, you know, for you, like you're around yeah. the survivor people, you want these people to succeed sure. or you believe in them to a degree yeah. because you're, you know, them, right. Um, and so uh, that I thought at least that it, I, I've said along, I thought that everybody talking about this defense being elite was overstating it. They gave up 500 yards of offense to Tampa and there were a lot of games where I was not overwhelmed by them, but they took advantage of the bad quarterback situations that you mentioned. Um, but they haven't shown to me that step this year. They haven't taken the momentum they had at the end of last year. What looked to be perhaps what I'm saying, the, what it means to play for this team and take it to the next step. And I think that is to me would be, is the but frustrating But what part. is it, Ben? That, this, is what I, this is what I don't get. Like what we, we, we all think individually, we would all say Chase Young, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne and Montez Sweat and Matt Ioannidis and even Tim Settle. We would all say individually, those are good to great players, right? Like if you ask, is this a good player? You say he's a good to great to amazing player, whatever you want to say. So what is the problem? Is it, is it, is it scheme? Are they not playing great? Do we need to start? Do we have to stop relying on a four man rush? I don't, I don't know what the, no one's telling me what the problem is. What, why we're not generating a pass rush. What is the solution? Oh, um, none of us know. Right. Like what's, well, the solu- what's the solution other than they need to play better or these words like miscommunication or the assignment. I mean, I, you know, I, I want to know specifically why these guys are getting blocked one-on-one by the way. Blocked one-on-one predominantly, not always, and giving uh, quarterbacks the most time in the league. I think like, what was it? Was the Josh Allen stat where he had like three seconds to throw? It was like most in, in the entire week. I mean, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, uh, so we're talking at uh, 
a little after five o'clock on Monday. We talked to Ron Rivera earlier today, and there was some questions were asked about it. He kind of gave, you know, some general answers. And, you know, I've been looking, he's obviously got to do that. And I have not, I'm mentioning the time in this case because I have not had a chance to go watch the game, the TV replay or find an all 22. I just got back from Buffalo a couple hours ago. So I can't give you anything specific other than look, obviously as one thing Rivera kind of said was guys need to be in sync. Like he mentioned one play, like maybe Deron Payne makes an outside move to get by his guy. And maybe it even works, except that it's not in sync with what the end, with the edge rusher is doing. And now they're both occupying the same space that everybody needs to, you know, the point he's kind of been making all along has been everybody needs to kind of be in sync with each other, be disciplined to know what you need to do on this given play and trust that your, your teammates are going to do the same thing. I think there's a little bit more to it than just that. And obviously we can discuss scheme and things like that. I guess where I'm confused, Ben is because like, you know, we don't have a Manusty or a Joe Barry or even a Hazlitt or a Mike Nolan to kick around right now, right? Like, I mean, you look at Rivera and you look at um, Del Rio and they have a track record of at least, you know, moderate to pretty good to sometimes great success. So it, it's, it's hard to just, you know, have the scapegoat of the coaching on one hand because they've proven they can do it unlike some of those other people that we had. So I, that's that's where I'm confused. And like you said, I, I listen to those press conferences. I, they feel very vague and very general. And I, I, even if it is guys messing up their assignments, how could that still be happening? This isn't like, you know, the preseason. This isn't training camp. We're a few weeks in and it, it's happening on, a, on the regular. All right, well, here's what we should do. We should come up with a situation. You, you submit a question to me. Okay. That that won't Love get it. me fired. That I can go ask Ron Rivera, and then I will s- send you a question that you can ask Jeff Probst or uh, or one of the contestants that year. Is that does that work? I love I love it. I love the exchange program. <laughs> it's like bring your psycho fan friend uh, to work day. Like I know Ben's a huge reality TV fan, and I'm a huge WFT fan. So we're gonna do a little uh, cross pollination. I'm into it. Absolutely. All right. Well, so speaking of that, let's get into this in the in the last couple of minutes. I, I have you here. Um, so you've been busy. This is your time of the year. This is like when the accountants got to, uh, get the tax guys got to get ready before April 15th. Yep. The survivor premiere just was started last week. This is the end of big brother. The, uh, the finale is Wednesday, right? Yep. Um, yeah. So, uh, l- l- let's talk about survivor quickly because big brother's got more meat to, to get into since we're at the end. Uh, so survivor is off a year and a half because of the world that we, that we're, we live in. They, they come back. It's now instead of a 39 day season it's 26 uh 26 and jeff probes is i think the the promos all year were super weird i thought like super the, weird. the, the monster is gonna come out yeah. i was like i don't know what he's even talking about i don't i don't either <laughs> it, it made no sense I, I i guess that was their their search for a theme the, the first thing i'll say quickly about survivor because i'm sure some of your listeners now are like i don't want survivor you should the reason why survivor is great and why everyone should give it a chance is because every season is a reset, right? It's not like other TV shows where you're coming in after like 10, 20 seasons. I don't know this show. I don't, it's all new cast, it's a whole new game. You can literally start watch last week's episode and you'll be totally up to speed. Right. Um, so yeah, it's 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 they had to do 26 days of filming instead of 39 because they had to put everyone in quarantine for two weeks for COVID. And they're claiming that it's going to be much harder for the contestants this year. They're not given any food, like minimal supplies, and they're going to really be put through the ringer. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, uh, you know, they've got all these twists, Ben. They've got new sort of, you know, 
bells and whistles and wrinkles and things that they're doing. And that's all fine. But what any reality TV season comes down to, and we can talk about this later with Big Brother, is casting, right? Like, did they nail the casting? Did they get a cast of people where there's people you want to root for and people you want to root against? It's like sports in that way. It really is. You, 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 you find people that you, that you really want to, you're, you're invested in, in, in their success or their demise, and then you watch it play out. So I think that's ultimately what this is going to come down to. I think uh, we've got a good cast on our hands. It's early. Obviously, these are the first seasons. CBS has a new casting mandate where all the cast will be 50% at least people of color. So it's not going to be necessarily like, you know, 18 white people and two non-white people that get voted out early. Uh, so um, we'll see how it plays out. But I think I think it's a good looking cast. What, what did you think of the first episode? Yeah, I mean, first, obviously, it was good to, to have it back. Uh, Jeff Probst, um, you know, it's funny with these two shows, the hosts are very different scenarios <laughs> jeff probes is a con you know i, I don't have a consummate the right word but like he is kind of what you at least what i would expect out of a host of, of these shows he's obviously even more than just that he's you know he he's very involved in the production and everything else um uh and he's talking to the camera very a lot yeah, it's, it's uh, which, which, which was which was kind of odd um but you know he basically i guess what i you know one thing that's always about the show is like i i'm into the purity of the of like the winner like who is the best player for the show and that doesn't the best player could be viewed differently for different people sure you know are they the strategist or the social person win challenges whatever right um but uh you know sometimes they do a lot of twists and turns and kind of muck up the game and we'll see where this goes but i felt like so far like i kind of liked a lot of the stuff that they that they seem to be doing look it's a rush season and i'm curious to know what you think about how this is going to work again it's normally a 39 day journey this yeah. is only 26 so yeah. that's a lot different and i feel like they're having to get in a lot more stuff but so far i kind of liked um some of the stuff they did i thought the the bit where they had one person from each tribe go to this separate place they don't know why they're going or what the deal is but they get there and they hadn't met these people they get to interact with them have a form a little bond then they have to make a decision as to whether they want to risk or protect their vote it's basically the a form of the prisoner's dilemma you know if you all pick the thing where you get the advantage then none of you get it uh so you're the to only person who doesn't know what the prisoner's dilemma everybody said that like it was like a thing is that was that the thing in batman and the uh the dark knight with the boat was that, was that a prisoner's uh, i don't dilemma? remember i don't remember the boat uh but uh, but it's basically yeah it's basically you have to you can play it safe and everything will be fine but if you want to get a reward you can try for that but if everyone does it then you all get screwed. So it, I, listen, I could get so geeky strategy tell you about that, but no one wants to hear that at all. There was another twist that was literally called Savvy or Sweat, which is just, I guess, just a, a bizarre thing to call a decision, Savvy or Sweat. Uh, and then they had the shot in the dark die, which is fine. I mean, you know, I, I, I agree with you, Ben. The show is, used to be a, a game of skill. There's still skill involved, but it's also a lot more luck and like foraging, right? It's like luck that, that certain twists go your way and it's like searching for idols. And so they have this thing where, you know, if you feel like you're in danger, you can, you know, use this die and put your hand in a bag and have a one in six shot to get safety. At least that is an equal opportunity advantage. You know, at least it's not like, hey, Ben Standig sat, sat down in front of this napkin and found an advantage and now he has an advantage over me in the game. In this, everyone has access to the same advantage. So that I kind of like, I feel it makes it a little more of an even playing field. And also it, it, it 
it may not be completely fair to some of the players. They they set up everything perfectly, and then this person can pull out the advantage and save themselves, um, which can kind of suck. But on the other hand, it makes for some weeks where like, uh, we obviously know where this is going. They can edit as much as they want to make it look yep. like there's multiple options, but it's pretty obvious what's going to happen. And as long as that player is aware that they are about to be screwed, um, they could do that and make, it makes up for some some potentially boring uh, boring weeks. Um, I, I would imagine because this is going to be go pretty quick that we probably shouldn't have too many boring weeks. I mean, the big the big concern is always as w- more as we'll discuss about in a second with Big Brother is a big alliance gets together and just sort of runs the table and you know you you get down to a final five or six and then it, it was kind of boring uh, for for most of the year. So as long as that doesn't happen, these things t- tend to work out pretty well. Uh, the fact that we haven't had it in a while. I'm pretty hopeful for that. Now, do you, is, do we, am I, I'm assuming the 26 day thing, is this going to be the norm going forward? So I asked Jeff, so they, this season and next season, which were filmed back to back were 26 days because of the quarantine. I asked Jeff Probst, is this permanent? And he said, we haven't decided yet. I would be okay. So I asked Ben on his podcast once Uh, we were talking about, the restrictions you've had because of COVID, Ben, covering the team. And I said to you, you're never getting back in that locker room, are you? Because they kicked you out because of COVID. And and you said, no, I don't think we are. Because once they get you out, why would they put you back in? We're still getting our coverage. Ben Standing is still writing about us on The Athletic. We don't need to let him in the locker room. I think this will be a situation where they're like, we went down to 26 days. Uh, We did a vote out every two days instead of every three days. Didn't really play out that differently on TV. We saved X amount of dollars. Uh, this is what we're going to do now. I, 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 the only way we go back to 39 is if these next two seasons are just terrible and people are complaining about it and blaming it on that. Outside of that happened, why will they spend more money? Why will they go back and do it? So I think this is probably what, what we're, we're stuck with. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a bummer. And I guess on some weird level, it's like when they change the number of games in a, in a sports season. And now how do you compare, uh, right. You know, even just, I mean, even just the NFL one game, 17 game season versus what somebody did in a 14 game season, let alone a 16 game. Yeah. So now how do you compare how Boston Rob or Parvati or somebody had to run for 39 days versus 26, but it, it's a good, you know, what's a really interesting point is what I realized is, you know, Probst is saying we're, this is going to be so much harder on the people doing 26 days because we're making it so much harder. It did seem pretty hard. But, I mean, it did feel like there was a lot more. It, it did, but, it, but it, I, it took I, away fire and rice and things like that. I recently talked to Sophie Clark. I ran into her actually up in Vermont. I saw uh, Sophie Clark won uh, survivor South Pacific season 23. And she came back for last season winners at war. And she and some other people have told me like you really until about day 26, like you're always miserable out there, but you really, that's when you hit another gear of like miserable, right? Like you literally, like you can't think straight. You, it's hard to form clear, coherent thoughts right around that point where this game is going to end. Ben, I don't think we'll really know the difference until they bring back players that have played for 39 days that then do it in 26 day format, right? So I'm making this up. Survivor season 44, right? They bring back some players that played, you know, years ago, and they'll be the first ones to be like, oh yeah, it was much harder or it was much easier or it was about the same. Until then, we're not going to really know because no one can compare the two. Right, 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 for sure. Well, anyway, I'm glad it's back. Uh, Wednesday nights, eight o'clock, back back on my schedule. Happy for that. Now, Big Brother, uh, a show that's on (laughs) 
Big Brother, there are some seasons where it feels like the way you were talking about the football team. It's a lot of time commitment. I don't even, I'm not a feed watcher. So for those of you who don't know, me neither. You can watch 24 7 live feeds. You go to one of the, through CBS's website or whatever. And um, I I have, at at various times, I have checked it out. The Evil Dick season from years ago was a fun one to watch a little bit. But by and large, I don't have time for that. And I listen to, uh, Rob Sesternino's uh, podcast, and I'll get some updates from there, or, or you know, yeah. whatever else. But uh, it's still, it's still three days a week, an hour to clip. It's a lot, and some years you're like, I, what am I doing with my life? This is terrible. Yep. Now this season, to a degree, could have gone down that path because it was, as I said before, you had this. Uh, is Pagong a thing, or do I just hear Sesternino say this? It's it's a thing from the Pagong tribe and Survivor. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's so, it's a thing. Yeah, so yeah, you're right, Ben. What happened was. Big Brothers had this thing where recently we're just one big alliance forms and they mow down the competition and it's so predictable and you're just sitting there knowing who's going to get voted out every week and it's really boring. And, and like and like for the to to make the comparison, there are people who should know who who can see yes. what's happening and and basically they're the team that's down uh they're down 10 points in the start of the fourth quarter and it's fourth down at midfield and they punt. And you're like, no, you got to go for it. You can see you're going to lose if you don't do it. And they yes. always punt because people are too nervous. They don't want to upset the herd or whatever. And they don't do anything. Yeah, it's herd mentality. You're right. Everyone like wants to go with what the house wants. And they don't realize that there's an alliance in the house. This season had basically the same thing, yet has been super entertaining. And it's yes. so weird because one alliance forms on day one. They mow down the competition. And it shows you what I said earlier, Ben. It's all about casting. You had likable people doing it. You had, they were really smart. They were motivated. And it was frustrating as if you were having players not recognize it, but, but the Alliance in, in running the show was one that you ended up rooting for. And so it's been a, it's been a great season. It's been a predictable season. Uh, there have not been a lot of fireworks until last Thursday's episode or during the vote out when you had a really tense confrontational moment until then that was the first confrontation of the entire season. Uh, but it's been it's been really, really fun, and I'm excited to see what happens this Wednesday. I'm pretty sure this guy Xavier is going to win. Uh, as I asked Julie Chen Moonves, the host, she said it's his game to lose. I agree completely. But we've seen weird things on this show, man. We've seen people dominate in the game then get in the end and not get the votes. The difference is most people were bitter at those people. People don't seem bitter except for maybe Kylan. People are not bitter at this guy Xavier, and so I think he's pretty much got it in the bag. I mean, it's been it's been a fascinating season. And just to sort of have some more background for anybody who has no idea what we're talking about. So the, this alliance that formed day one, six person alliance, as Dalton mentioned before, in terms of any of these shows, uh, CBS made it such that half the cast needs to be minority of, of, of color. So normally on these seasons, to be honest, like there's only a handful of uh, African-Americans on the show and who get voted out like first every year. <laughs> right. I mean, pretty much. Right. And so th- this, gr- this group decided led by Tiffany, who was easily the best casting decision that they've made this year. And perhaps in some time, yeah. uh, th- th- it got the group together to basically say, not only are we going to be an alliance, just like the way we're always alliances, but we're going to do this with a, with a specific mission of having the very first African-American winner ever on the show. This is what season 23. Yep. Right. So, so never happened. So they did that, but look, we have seen other alliances form before we've seen a women's alliance or some other things. These things tend to fall apart at some point for a variety of reasons. I think in part because of the, the level of resolve that people have for whatever this specific mission is. And also they get distracted by 
whatever. These people are not the brightest bulbs always on these shows. And they, you know, who knows? They, 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 they have a showman's. They, you know, they, they oh, somebody give me a dirty look, whatever it might be. And these things fall apart. This one didn't. And they had a very specific plan beyond just staying together. Each person, more or less, at least five of the six, formed a bond with somebody else outside of their group. The, they were very they 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 were very covert about the whole thing. They didn't hang out together. They never made it look like they were that this was happening. And they formed such a bond with this other person that it looked like they were connected more with that one person, and so on and so on. And what was interesting is, so not only did this group stay together, they made it all the way to the final six, which is unprecedented for any alliance. Yep. But uh, all the people that they voted out, at least the ones who've made it to the jury, thus we get to keep seeing them talk more because they show the jury house, which is always a fun time. None of these people seem bitter at all. Not at all. And it's, I think that says a lot about who they are as people, but it also, this, this could have gone very wrong in a lot of different ways. And instead it's going to come out, I think very positively from a social perspective, but also, uh, you know, in terms of like, they were able to get this done, but I do wonder this, you and I both like the strategy aspects of this. It's pretty obvious that some people within the the alliance, it's called the cookout, should have, from a strategy standpoint, not for this bigger mission, should have veered off at some point. Because it was obvious that they, because they had to vote out in some cases their own, that other side alliance person who was more more connected to them, more loyal to them than perhaps some of these individuals were in this group. So how do you square that as a guy who sits there, you write for Entertainment Weekly, you talk about the strategy, did these people make the right moves? How did you square that aspect of it? I asked that exact same question to this guy, Kyland, who just got voted out in fourth place. And he had a his, like, as Ben said, everyone in the Alliance, and this is why it was so fascinating. I think you explained it really well, Ben, even if you don't watch the show is six people in an Alliance, but their best friend for each of them, at least five of them was not in the Alliance. And yet they still stayed together and they voted out all of their best friends. So I asked Kyland, all right, your biggest, you know, supporter in this house, this woman, Sarah Beth, you know, you got rid of to stay true to the cookout. And then they got rid of you and backstabbed you. And it got really heated there between him and, 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 and the people that got, got him out. And so I said, do you regret sticking with the cookout? He said, absolutely not. I'm really proud to be a part of it. I'm really proud that we made history. Uh, our goal all along. Um, and this is what they've all kind of said. Uh, Tiffany said this too. Our goal all along was to get to the final six and then we duke it out, right? And that's what they did. So by having the alliance, they knew that they'd get themselves to the final six and then it was game on. And obviously Kyland was outplayed because he thought he was going to the final two with Xavier. <laughs> and so maybe he would have been outplayed the other way as well. It, it was really fascinating. And you mentioned it too, the way the jury, the people that were um, set aside uh, by their best friends who were in the cookout, that they were cool with it. I mean, there was a scene where Tiffany had to basically oust her best friend, Claire, and she had to tell her because that was one Tiffany's one really bad move in the game. The cookout had a plan and and she went against the plan to win HOH. And then as a result, she had to put up her best friend. And uh, that was a great scene. I mean, amazing scene where this woman's telling, this black woman is telling this white woman, look, I I have to do this. Uh, There's a bigger purpose here. And a better decision we made. And and Claire said, I'm super bummed out. And she's crying, but she says, but I get it. And I'm proud of you for doing it. It, it was, you know, whatever. I, we don't want to veer off into probably some other places, but it was really in a in a in a world that's so divided, 
these days and people are just waiting to come down on everyone. What a great moment of unity that was. And you saw people fighting for a bigger purpose. And that's something that Big Brother, it's its a toilet bowl show, 99.9% of yes. the time. It's terrible. You can Google it. You can see all the problems they've had in so many different ways. And they cast sort of these, you mentioned it, Ben, they cast these lowest common denominator individuals, right? Not that bright, not that, um, not that nice a lot of times. And they redid their casting this year. And, uh, you know, they got a few lawyers that are in the cast, this and that, whatever. It's, it's been a great season. Um, and, and just to get to um, what happened the other night, because this was easily the most dramatic moment of the season. And honestly, it was one of the most dramatic moments probably in the history of, of the show. Because obviously, the, again, yes, as, as, as Tom said, the show is relatively stupid. It, it's mindless. It's, the good thing for me always was it was in the summer when there was not much else going on. You know, most you know in the especially in the in the older days when we didn't have when, when shows were typically uh, on the broadcast. You know, fall. Right, and, uh, right. There and, was nothing on in the summer. There's no Netflix. On. There's no broadcast TV. Then they used to air. There's one season it was on like six nights a week, and I watched it. What's wrong with me? Why would I watch six? They had like an AOL expert who would literally you'd sit there for 10 minutes to watch some woman from AOL just talk about like, oh, a lot of people are talking about uh, what Chicken George did last night. And I'm like, I cannot believe I'm watching this garbage. Well, what am I doing? At least I get paid for it. You the know, theme, it's, clearly the theme of this podcast is Dalton asking what is wrong with me. Uh, it's, it's true. It's a good, it's, it's a good, true. it's a good question. So, um, but, but there was a pretty big dramatic moment. And I know it's obvious the point of this show, but, but sometimes it needs to be stated that, what Big Brother is, is throwing 20 people or what was it, 18 people this 16, year? 16, I think. 16, or whatever, somewhere in that range. Yep. Into this quote unquote house, this stage on the CBS lot that's to built like a big fancy house or, you know, a, a, a house with a backyard, whatever, and throw them in there for three months and see what happens. And there's a game within, there's a game that's happening and all that. But like, it is kind of to some degree, it is, it, 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 it's like taking, you know, it's, it's sort of like the real world, but. It, it's a it's a different you know there's a competition aspect to it. real world they were just doing who they are in life but you had to live together this is a competition to it as well as that you take away the but you're taking away the other parts they're not connected to their family at all they have no out they have no connection to the outside world and you see what happens and what you see is it, the, the most interesting part to me every year is you get to a stage and you get to a point and the question is is this a game or is this real life? Can I do things that I would never do on the outside in theory? Maybe people would. Things that would be viewed negatively outside the house, do it inside the house because it's a game. And I often think to myself, sure, it is a game, right? I mean, the point of this is, this is why you're all there to win this year at $750,000. Anyway, um, so this guy, Kylan, that you mentioned, by and large, he's been a pretty good player and he would have been easily one of the front runners for, for some time, he won a lot of competitions. He was you know, re reasonably decent socially, whatever. Um, he, at some point, though, started to I, I almost like fall for this guy, Xavier, uh, at, this guy who is very uh, charming. He is, yep. a, lot, a lot of people liked him. Some, some women were swooning over him. Others just really liked him. And he's been he, he's gotten through this game a lot off of his charm and personality. And at some point, he this guy, Xavier, decided he would he would rather go to the end with this guy as like a best versus best scenario which is insanely stupid you never do why would anybody do that i mean i get like we all you know you want to colby see donaldson you, move it's a colby donaldson <laughs> right yeah i mean i like just think of it from a sports perspective obviously it's fun for us to see tom brady against patrick mahomes in the super bowl 
in the perfect world, Tom Brady is facing you or me. He right. doesn't want to go exactly. up against the best people. He wants to win. Whatever he's that playing means. Dwayne Haskins. Right. Exactly. Sure, right. So this guy is going to take the Xavier guy. He saved him multiple times. He could, he, he had the choice to throw him out multiple times. And every time he didn't because of this and Xavier, when given the opportunity to do the opposite, was like, Oh, I'm getting rid of this guy. See ya. Uh, and, and Kylan. I guess effectively didn't necessarily see that it was coming or was confused. So when he gets voted out, instead of the normal deal of you say goodbye, maybe you're a little frustrated, you leave, walk outside to go talk to Julie Chen. He stands there, starts confronting Xavier, and then brings up the outside world into this conversation that he's setting a poor example for his nephew. And part of Xavier's backstory, I'm really going deep here. Part of his yeah. backstory is that Xavier's brother, right? Yeah. Had passed away a few months before the show started and that he had part of his reasoning for being on the show was to help get money to help this kid you know, right. in, in, in life. And this guy brings up this as like, now you're looking like a bad role model to which Xavier wasn't exactly thrilled. And they basically got nose to nose. And it was a good 10 seconds there where I was like, oh, wow, this yeah. is about to go down. And there is nobody there. There's the four people left in the house. And I know that there are producers or handlers or whatever, but they're not right there. No, they're not. They're not there. I don't you know, know if it could it's, take it's, some 20 it's, seconds to get in, but they're not there yeah. right there. It's not It's not Jerry Springer with like the security guy there that's going to like run in and grab someone on during like a paternity test. Uh, I asked Julie Chen about that. She said she, you know, she's looking over her notes and her note cards. She's getting ready to interview Kylan. She said that the producers in her ear were like, get Kylan out of there, get him out of there. Like, uh, so you heard her say like, Kylan, please leave the house immediately. Leave the house immediately. It was very tense. And don't forget, you had Smoke and Joe Frazier's son was in the house. He could have, yeah. who knows? Maybe Big D was going to start pulling some punches. I, I don't know what was going to happen, but it was super tense. And and listen, Ben gave you a great sort of a you know walk up to to all that. And this Wednesday night's the finale. Uh, Kylan is a member of the jury. He will be there, and we'll see if this you know. I'm not saying anything's going to come to blows, but we'll see. What happens is, is, does he sort of, was that the heat of the moment? Now he's feeling better. I talked to Kylan the next day. He still stands by everything he said. We'll find out on Wednesday. What happens? Uh, wait, last question. Then I'll let you go. What was the, I, I, I'm, I'm blanking here. Cause I haven't thought about it. What's considered to be the worst strategic move in big brother history. And whatever that was, is Kylan about to become the new number one? Because I think that in the situation he was in multiple times, but, but tell, me, tell me your answer first, and then I'll explain why I think it might be the worst one. Well, I think it's the, the one I remember right off the top of my head was, do you remember, do you remember Marcellus? I actually Mar didn't watch that season, but I know okay. he, he Marcellus himself one out. time had the veto, was on the block, did not use the veto on himself for some reason. I, I, I may be messing this up, but he had a chance to take himself off, didn't do it, was immediately voted out. Um, um, that was, uh, that was a rough one. So and there have been situations where people are in an alliance and it's pretty obvious, at least as the viewer. And I would think even for the person that you got to cut bait with this other person because they're going to win if they go, if you go head to head and you have the opportunity. I mean, Derek and Cody was the, is the one that comes to mind when you have this total goat and victorious sitting there, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, the I think like we see it almost every year, though. We right. yeah, you're right. We see that every year. But the difference between those and this is that in those cases, these alliances were formed over the course of the whole time, and these people, I can't even imagine what it's like to be trapped in a space you can't trust anybody. You're missing everybody. You probably come. I mean, it's 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 speed dating on crack. Like you become uh, the relationships you form with these people for better or for worse are accelerated in ways we can't even imagine on the outside. So I get to a degree why it might be hard. 
you've, you put all your trust in this person. You can't pull the Earl and Yao man move um, to, to, to cross shows here. Right. This one, Kylan only, other than the fact that they were in the cookout together, they had no real emotional connection until like um, three weeks ago. Like this, th- their, their decision to go to the end was pretty recent, right? As far as, right? I mean, relatively speaking. So he's making a choice. He's making a strategic choice, not an emotional choice, which is why to me, I think this is going to be the worst move ever if, if Xavier wins. It is so, he would have probably won the game, Kylan. And to do it for those reasons and then to get pissy about it. Oh my God, that guy, terrible. I mean, I don't think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't underestimate Big D, which is Smoking Joe Frazier's son, just from a social aspect. I think people really like him a lot. Um, and if he was sitting there next to Kyland, I think he would have a chance just based on that. But maybe not. But um, we'll see what happens on Wednesday night, Ben. I, th- I think Xavier is going to win it. And I think he's, he said, I asked him before the season, I sent some questions over and he said that, his goal was for there to be a, a, a black winner, a big brother, and he hoped it was going to be him. And I think that prediction is going to come true. I agree. All right. Uh, at Dalton Ross on Twitter, executive editor at large for Entertainment Weekly. And if you take nothing away out of this discussion, <laughs> he is part of the Surviving Snyder podcast, which you can find at all your places you do your podcasting. I've, I've, I legitimately have listened to it uh, a, a handful of times. You've had JP Finley on, Michael Phillips on. You had Mike Lombardi on the other day. So like you guys are talking actual football with uh, people yeah. who released it, who are in the mix. So it's, it's a, it's a good listen, whether, whether you're into the, the, the survivor aspect or, or the, uh, the football uh, aspect. We're, we'll get you back on there soon. I've, I've taken mercy on you, Ben. I've given you a break. We're having your buddy Mark Bullock on this week, but we're going to get some Ben standing back in there because when you got standing on the podcast, it's like a great playlist. It's all killer, no filler. That sounds like a props line. Uh, that, that's going to be their next, uh, that, the next, next Come on season in, survivor. Yeah, the, the, uh, we didn't even get into that whole thing to oh, come in part. All right. That's another story. Uh, Dalton, man, always appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. Had a blast, man.